Grand Canyon University values all mothers this Mother's Day. You show us how to live a Christ-centered life. Your strength and care instill purpose and build a welcoming home where we flourish and grow. GCU is proud to celebrate you today and support you along the way while you make time for what matters most. Happy Mother's Day from Grand Canyon University. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. On this episode, I brought on Rocky, who is directing a little maybe documentary you might have heard of called 1946, The Movie. It documents how the word homosexual was added into the Bible in 1946. So I brought on the director to talk about how the progress is going with the creation of the documentary, as well as some other things like what's it like making a documentary and why this topic. So I hope you enjoy this episode. That being said, I wanted to say, as always, thank you to everyone who is sharing the podcast and giving us ratings and reviews. It really helps us. So if you can give us a rating and a review on the show, um, either on Apple um, Podcasts or give us a subscribe and a like, a thumbs up on YouTube, that'd be great. And as always, I want to say thank you to everyone who continues to support the work that we do. If you want to get involved, you can click on the link in our show notes. Wow, that's a quick intro. I'm getting very efficient at doing this. So... All right, without further ado, here is my episode with Rocky. Hope you enjoy. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Amaveo Group. You might be wondering, Tim, who or what is the Amaveo Group? I'm so glad you asked. The Amaveo Group is a nonprofit organization that exists to see broken systems fixed in communities all over the world, including right here in the States. And they are looking for people who want to help. This group works directly with local leaders in their own context in places like Ireland, Mexico, Philadelphia, and Haiti. Now, let's be honest, friends. When many of us think about going to another country and raising money to go, we think about our missions trips as teens with our evangelical church so we could go and quote-unquote preach the gospel, which in many cases meant proselytizing and colonizing and showing them a better and superior way of living, right? Which we do not not want to do anymore. This is not what we're talking about. No proselytizing, just straight up help. This is also a way for you to get out of your own bubble and explore different parts of the world and experience the diversity of humanity while also doing good along the way. If you're interested in being a part of this, you can click on the link in our show notes or visit amaveogroup.org. That's A-M-O-V-E-O group.org. Rocky, it is great to have you on the New Evangelicals podcast. Thanks for making time. I'm sure you're busy. After all, you are making a movie. Of course. <laughs> Which, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it must take up a lot of your time. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of my audience probably has at least heard about the movie. They've watched the trailer. I followed the account for a while. But I'm kind of curious to know... How did this project get started? I have to imagine that 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 this is closely near and dear to your heart to do a project like this. Sure. Yeah, so it definitely is very personal. Uh, I grew up in the evangelical church. My dad is a non-denominational 
minister and all of my life I didn't fit in or within the little box that I was presented this whole idea of you know you're going to get married and this is your life and you know this is this is how we do life and I'm like eh, it doesn't feel like this is how we do life you know so <laughs> Uh, through my personal experience and through my traumatic then experience, mm-hmm. which I had a, a found out story, not necessarily a coming out story. And so my parents and I had uh, a, a not so healthy experience with with how that all went down uh, and then spending 25 years trying to navigate faith and sexuality and mm-hmm. then personal relationship. Uh, Fast forward to being absent outside of any type of church structure, family structure, love relationship, really healthy structure for that said over two decades. Mm. And I found myself in a church in Los Angeles with a girl that I was dating who said she was a Christian. She wanted us to go back to church. She wanted me to go to church with her. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) So I went to church and through that experience as an adult, in a church in Los Angeles where they welcome you and they make you feel like they're affirming. And so I started to really kind of be, it was really upsetting because at least in my father's church, I know where they, where you stand. Mm. And so now as an adult feeling welcome, but not equal, Mm. And then feeling lied to on top of it kind of set a spark in me and a little bit of a fire in me. Uh, I started to get vocal in that space. I started to come out in that space. I started to challenge the leaders in that space. I started to ask for the bylaws in that space to which they weren't available, to which I ended up receiving them. Uh, And in the body of the email, it said, don't pass this email outside of anybody within leadership. And so obviously I wasn't supposed to receive it. They weren't very happy when they found out I did receive the email. You know, it's like these these kinds of situations are happening all across the world, not only in America, but, you know, like as we're learning more about gay people and what I have learned from just the studies of making this documentary, the church constantly shifting the goalposts, so to speak, Hmm. on issues around sexuality, gender identity, on complementarianism, like all of these themes that the purity culture and different things as we see the church shift in their conversations on, on gender, gender and sexuality, you know? Mm. So, um, so yeah, so I just, uh, through getting vocal and feeling lied to that led me to learning about affirming spaces, Mm. a Christians, which I just was so far removed. I never even thought about it. Of course you can be gay or of course there are people that have been already doing this work. And then through that, I learned that the two Greek words that were conjoined together to be translated to mean homosexual. Right. Uh, And because of all of that past experience and my experience in the film industry, I felt compelled to tell the story because I believe in the power of the, the characters, the real life people who have done this work, and then the real life people of the lives that this mistranslation has impacted. Uh, yeah. So I, I believe this is a story. I know it's being respond to pretty well. We're getting a great response so far, both negative and positive, which is great. People are talking about it. Uh, and so it's working. And I hope that people see the film and we can just continue to expand these kinds of conversations. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I have definitely seen and heard from people in my own community um, a similar story of 
I was at a church that on the surface was uh, seemed welcoming only to find out that they weren't like, like once I wanted to get involved in, in volunteering, that was a problem. Or once I wanted to become part of the right. community, right. I could attend, raise my hand, give the money, of course. But if I wanted to participate, then that was problematic. Um, I get that Absolutely. quite often. Yeah. It seems like it's very widespread. What is your experience in the film industry? I'm kind of curious to know. Yeah, so um, I've been in the film industry for um, well over 20 years, pretty much wow. since I, I, you know, um, graduated high school. I started working in in film and going to film school and doing various different things. Um, and so I have done, I've worked in many different mediums within just videography, I guess, you know, or just any type of storytelling through the visual arts. Yes, and so I've done episodic and short format and commercial and feature films and docu-series. Like the biggest docu-series I did was House of Cards. So, wow, uh, yeah. So I was on that show for a couple seasons. I left when David Fincher left. You know, I was like, if he's gone, I'm gone. You know, sure. it's time to go. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I've, I've been around the block a little bit and, and I primarily have done pro- production management or art department okay. uh, and usually as a department head. And so I was living in Los Angeles when I first learned of business translation and I switched out of management and department head work to pursue a producing career. So I was already working with uh, a manager and working on gathering intellectual property and learning how to produce said property, you yeah. know, and so it's a little bit of a different taste within the industry. Sure. Uh, And so as I was pursuing that, this film kind of came into my lap. Mm. And so uh, I felt it's almost like I'm all in on this and you never really go all in. Like, I mean, especially on a passion project, it's just, it's a very high risk business. Right. But it's interesting. I feel almost because of my film experience and then my past experience as a gay Christian lesbian pastor's daughter and then, you know, my also like uh, ability to kind of stick up for the kid on the playground type thing, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm not afraid to stand up to the bully, you know, so put all three of those world, worlds together. And I guess mm. I've been unknowingly preparing to do this type of work my yeah. entire life. <laughs> you have all so. the ingredients to really crush it, right? So let's talk about a little bit of like the movie and pre-production. What kind of research did you have to do? Uh, to kind of get like what you needed to get to kind of film this this documentary about um, ab- about the the topic. Sure. So when I first learned of the mistranslation, I first started binge watching Kathy Boldock's work, okay. and then delved into her book. And she wrote a book called "Walking the Bridgeless Canyon: Repairing the Breach Between the LGBTQ Community and the Church." She has a ton of stuff. You can Google her. She has a brand new website coming out. Her book is actually just being released in Spanish, which is great because people are really responding to her work. And now she's doing a second book with Ed Oxford, who's the other lead in our film. And they have done this translation research. So it first started with uh, around the the six clobber passages and Arsinoquitai and Malakoi, the two Greek words how, you know, then, then from there, uh, and, and learning of Kathy's work, trying to figure out then what's this Septuagint, what is a Septuagint? How, what does that even mean? You know, like all these right. new types of terms, but within learning some of the way that the Bible has been made and translated in all of the different translations, as I was really first starting, 
uh, going back almost three years ago, <clears throat> for about a year straight, I would watch hours of sermons, mostly non-affirming, um, but really getting into back into Christianity mm-hmm. and the church and what's going on and modern Christianity and you know, uh, and so really kind of, I had, uh, almost a very emotional year, as you can imagine, Totally having past PTSD, church PTSD coming back as I'm watching different sermons or getting very frustrated at the things you hear from the pulpit. Um, so it's interesting because I never thought I would come home after work and spend four hours watching sermons for, you know, a whole right. year. Totally. <laughs> um, and then that also, you know, different books and different authors, including a lot of queer um, theology work type authors Yeah. Uh, and going to various conferences. I've been to a lot of the different queer Christian fellowship conferences and then the Reformation Project with Matthew Vines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. actually physically meeting people, reading their books, going to the conferences, hearing stories from parents, hearing stories from people transitioning, you know, just all the different things that yeah. you do when you start, you know. Yeah, so um, it's a lot of work. Now, it's a lot of work. And now we're in a place where, you know, we've, we've filmed a ton. Um, okay. We've got a, a, almost everything we need right now. We're honing in on our expert voices to kind mm. of <clears throat> round out the main themes in the hour and a half presentation of the film. So as right. you can imagine, we have hundreds of hours of footage. <laughs> right. Ed's book is hundreds of pages. Right. Uh, and we only have 90 minutes to tell right. a story. Right. And four characters, you know, so. Right. Um, <clears throat> but now it's it's cool and it's very important to be able to have these social media platforms and to even have this opportunity to talk with you today, because the more conversations we have and the more that we listen to the other side of the conversations they're having, the more it helps us really hone our message as we're in this really pivotal moment of our storytelling where we're structuring the film. Yeah. Uh, like Dr. Michael Brown did it through. Oh yeah. Hour, well, it might have only been an hour presentation um trying to debunk our movie from seeing a two and a half minute trailer. Yes. You know, and the it's interesting the assumptions that are made, but we're listening to every assumption that they're making, you know, and so knowing how our opposition, and I don't even really like using those words, but how our non-affirming brothers and sisters think right. will help us, you know, uh, in, in engaging with this material. Totally. So that, you know, we're not, we don't want to be on the, we're, you know, as much as a lot of us have been hurt, yeah, we're not coming in on the defensive or the attack mode. We really right. just want to conversation so it sounds like what you want to do is persuade you want to hopefully be able to you know say hey we have we have at least a valid view you know whether you see it this way or not it's valid like you you can see things this way and be a devoted jesus follower like they can coexist and it it does seem like in our you know i mean i'm i'm an evangelical i grew up in that space and it just seems like this issue, the um, the issue, or the I should say the community, really, it's not an issue. It's more than that. There are people behind it. The 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 LGBTQ plus community, that topic and community has really been elevated to like, like the cardinal sin over all cardinal sins. You know, like like Absolutely. this is now a mountaintop, and it just 
it, it just, it baffles me, frankly, for a lot of reasons. But one of my questions for you is you mentioned earlier in the very beginning of our interview, you said the church has, is moving the goalposts when it comes to sexuality and gender. Like they, they've moved it in the past. Can you give me some examples of that? Because I heard that I was like, ooh, that's interesting. How has the church moved the goalposts, uh, you know, in history? Sure. I mean, uh, so even just around this use of the word homosexual, when it was first put in, there was a 30 year period where it wasn't even discussed. It wasn't even an issue because LGBTQ people at the time were really just homosexuals and homosexuals were equated with not only just having a mental illness, but um, a perversion that uh, had to do with, you know, it was not only were we sick, but we were child molesters pretty Mm. much, you know, there there was just this misunderstanding. So it was, it wasn't even an issue, Mm. but in the 1970s, when women's equality started happening, the civil rights movement is happening, yeah. and then LGBTQ liberation is happening, we can start seeing a shift in evangelical in the evangelical church to try to get what they call a handle on these social issues mm. uh, and these culture wars yeah. is what they would call them. <laughs> they started calling it the culture wars. Like oh, it was yeah. created from the church. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. uh, and you, you know, if you pull up transcripts of some of the conventions, like the Baptist Convention Center, you'll you will hear people say things like, "Well, as soon as we give X group more privileges and rights within the church, then we have to start making room for this other group." So first, it's people of color. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to have to start making room for women. And once we start making room for women, we're going to have to start making room for LGBTQ. And this all comes down to patriarchy and it all comes down to misogyny. It all comes down to, you know, um, the controlling of women. And people don't even it's hard to even discuss or say because, you know, somebody like even my father would be like, that's ridiculous. You know, your mother knows her role. She's very happy. We're (laughs) a happy life. These things work. <laughs> right. like, I'm really glad that it works for you. You know, right. so it all comes down to trying to get a handle of the social culture wars. Yep. Yeah. And then trying to control what the family structure looks like. That's right. So then in the 80s, we see groups form like the Family Research Council, yes. focus on the family, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and then and, and so even rewind just a little bit in the 70s. With the gay liberation, we see things like the Anita Bryant starting the Save Our Children campaign. That was probably the first. Mm. Uh, and so then by the mid 80s, the church is losing their shit. Right, right. And so they they assemble a council and they create a list of basically gender roles, gender uh So as much as as women were getting their equality, they wanted to basically make sure that they still knew that, of course, you can go out into the workplace, but these are still your roles within the church and within the home. And so that's called the Danver Statement because Mm -hmm. it was conducted in Danver. And then there's one called the Nashville Statement. That's right. And it's an extension of it. So those are just two examples. And then they they list out the gender roles so we can get a handle of masculinity and femininity. Yeah. How One much, of them even goes as far to talk about the plumbing argument. Like, you know, right, like, right. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've read yet or heard of um Jesus and John Wayne, the book yes. that's taken the evangelical world it's by storm. I haven't it's, read it yet. Well, when you read it, you're gonna just say, 
hell yes the entire time because they're pretty much yeah. in in really a really great narrative by by Kristen Dumay just paints this picture of like you said how patriarchy is at the root of so many of these things and it's intentional and it's not even like historically accurate and there's another there's another book by um Beth Allison Barr um called The Making of Biblical Womanhood where she traces yeah. the history of patriarchy and it is interesting to to hear it from you as well like i i, I keep seeing these themes of like there's a root and it seems like it's it's male power yeah. so so, so, you know, the documentary is, is so far from what I can gather is centered around, you know, 1946 when the word homosexual shows up. Right. And obviously the church, as far as I'm aware, historically has never been affirming of LGBTQ plus relationships, even before that word came into our English Bibles. Right. So, right. so how does that work as far as like, you know, I, I guess like, like if I was playing devil's advocate, I could say, well, sure. I mean, Rocky, yes. So the word homosexual is more recent, but the church has never, you know, given LGBTQ plus relationships like, you know, um, the the AOK. What's your response to that? Well, of course they haven't, you know, uh, and it still all stems down to this whole patriarchy thing. And if you actually go back, though, even to the Jewish tradition and rabbinic literature, they mentioned six different genders in those literatures. So even rabbis, you know, talk about non-binary people, people who are born that represent female. Like these are conversations in the Talmud and in other rabbinic literature. So hold on. What you're saying is that the Jewish rabbis were woke is what you're trying to say. And things get get lost in translation. They get covered up. And just like the the, um, canonical texts, they had texts that didn't get put into the Old Testament. And these are, you know, committees and men sitting around making decisions on what's going to be told for generations and what's not going to be told for Mm. generations Mm. and at some point the divine feminine gets lost and Mm. then um hierarchy comes in and that actually i believe is what is causing all of these problems Mm. and one of the um theologians that we interview talks about Mm. how these complementarianism themes these uh actually hurt men because um Sorry, I was out and I didn't, my computer's going to charge, my computer's going to die. Oh, no problem. Do your thing. uh, Because, you know, so men are, have all this pressure to be the breadwinner. Yeah. Our society is not suited for that. It doesn't fit for that. And so statistically, we can show statistically that men uh, are killing themselves and especially white men more now than they ever have before because they can't live up to these social structures that were designed by men to benefit them. They're literally killing the men that they were designed to benefit. Hmm. Uh, And so we have to examine these things. We have to reevaluate these things. So hold on one second, I'll answer that. Hey-ho, my chuckaboos on your afternoonified devices. It's me, Gustavus Swift, founder of Swift Foods and all-around meat guy. So, what's for dinner tonight? Might I suggest a tender and delicious cut of Swift beef skirt steak? Perhaps a juicy Swift pork tenderloin with a marvelous citrus chutney? Either one will take the egg the moment it hits the old sauce box. What am I saying? You're already on the internet. Look it up. Swift Foods, inspiring extraordinary meals since 1855. Question. Let me just plug this in. No problem. Sorry about that, Tim. Oh, it's fine. We're a casual podcast. Ah, hilarious. <laughs> um... 
So, of course, the Bible presupposes heterosexuality, Mm. uh, but that doesn't mean that that's the only form of acceptable coveted types relationships. What we have to look at is what are these what are these texts addressing at the time and what are they saying to us for our time? Mm -hmm. And the Bible gives us permission to to breed and even things like biblical inerrancy. It's very new. Yes. That's, yes. You know, it and is. so <laughs> these ideas of like the Bible says this, and so it is. Yes. It's causing more damage than good. So you know, and another thing I would say for people who say you know you can't challenge two thousand years of church history, I would say you better believe you absolutely need to challenge the institution because if you want to go up against church history, church history has a there is a terrible record. You know what I mean? The church has been wrong on so many different occasions. Right. And we catch up as society. And we, ha- as humans, have always challenged the institution. Right. And there have been reformations all throughout history. And so this right. is just the next great one. I mean, the evangelical, we're not afraid of that either. the evangelical institution sits on the shoulders of one of the biggest reformations in church history. His name was Martin Luther, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, exactly. and he was deemed a heretic and he was kicked out and told that he's you know, uh, just an abomination. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I tend, I really resonate with a lot of what you're saying because so to kind of maybe tie us back for our audience and connect some dots here, a lot of us who grew up in like a fundamentalist view of the evangelical tradition, right? God says it, that settles it, you know, kind of perspective. We're learning for the first time, a lot of things that, that, that you're really saying where it's like, yeah, the inerrancy, or especially the way that, that that we view inerrancy now, is quite new. It's a fundamentalist response to enlightenment, right? There's a lot of that part tied into this. And then also, there's a lot of great scholars um, who are doing great contextual work of the Bible. I think about Tim Mackey and uh, Scott McKnight. And one of the, the things that I've kind of picked up on in the bigger picture theme of the Bible is that... God does work in different ways all throughout the text, right? How he works with the Israelites is different than how he he, he reaches Saul. And that's it's, it's a totally different dynamic. And even Paul, right? He is rewriting some major traditions for the Jewish people. I mean, the debate about circumcision, to us, we think it's no big deal. That is a game changer. That is like, I mean, I can imagine the fundamentalists of his day being like, Paul, the scripture is clear. Our Torah is clear circumcised in order to be in the family of God. And Paul's right. saying, no, no, no. Circumcision of the heart. That's not in the Torah. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's kind of like the, like, the, like the same idea is kind of what I hear you kind of picking up on those themes and then doing that here with this, with this topic. Is that kind of in the same ballpark for you? Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's affirming theology throughout, like even in Galatians where it says there's neither male nor female, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Like those are radical text that nobody talks about, Yeah, you know? Uh, and so really the question is, is again, what, what are the prohibitions? Because it's not about orientation. Hmm. And so, you know, we would argue that they did have an understanding of not necessarily orientation or what gay people were, but of equal status relationships. Mm. Two men of equal status having a, a romantic relationship. They were definitely known uh, in the time. So what the texts are, are condemning and talking about are not these consensual, same equal status men type relationships. They're talking about abusive and exploitative relationships. Mm. If Paul wanted to talk about the other, he could have used 
over a dozen words to describe mm. romantic connection between two men of equal status. So really, we have to talk about what are these texts talking about? Yes. Another important thing to look at is the, the Sodom and Gomorrah story. So Sodom and Gomorrah has been misused for centuries. Yeah, you're Even right. The word Sodomite, where that comes into play. And at first, Sodomite means any form of non-appropriative sex, but eventually it gets seeped into the culture. Eventually it gets stigmatized toward gay people. So of course the word sodomite was in the Bible before homosexual. So people are like, ha, arsenicoitai, sodomite, homosexual, same thing. No, we have to understand where these words come from. Right. And so if somebody, and so obviously it comes from Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're still using Sodom and Gomorrah as a clobber passage, you have yeah. a long way to go. Right. Yeah. Because what's going on in these verses, we know. So, and then when I say these verses, there's a parallel text to Genesis 19 and it's in Judges 19. Mm. And the stories are very similar. They're the same stories. Guests come into town. They're staying at this man's house. The t- Every man of the town come to the house to know the vi- the visitor. They want to gang rape the visitor. Right. In both cases, the men say, don't do this to my male guests, but here, rape the women. Right. And we don't contest that. Right. So if, we, if, as, if we're not contesting that, what we're saying is that it is okay to rape a woman. Right. But it is Christian to rape a woman. Mm. Because instead we're saying, oh, this is about homosexuals. No, it's a scapegoat. And it's been used and misused against an innocent group of people. And that's just, you know, so these are the, these are the layers that we need to pull back. And yeah. so our goal within the movie is to start to softly introduce these themes because we, to, for example, we do talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and we do talk about Genesis 19 in the film, but we don't really talk about the word sodomite and the origins where it came. That'll all be in the book. Kathy right. and Ed's book that's come, that is coming out about the research is called how the Bible became anti-gay, forging a sacred weapon. Mm. So you'll have to delve into their book to get a little bit more of that context. But hopefully the movie will open up, even just looking at the parallel text and thinking about it in that context. Well, of course that text would be then saying it's okay to rape that. That's horrible. Yes. I need to look into this a little bit more. So that's what we're hoping to do with the movie, because that's what these verses are really talking about. So we just have to be honest with what we're doing here, you know? And it's the same with the church history. When you start lining up these social justice issues, you see, again, the church shifting and history doesn't lie. Right. So what we're trying to do is, and even within the text, if if the Bible is still, it's a heterosexual text. It was written by heterosexual people for cisgendered heterosexual men. So, of course, it's presupposed in that way. But at the end of the day, as we're stacking up facts from history, indisputable facts, we're hoping that there are enough on the on the affirming side that people can walk away now yeah. feeling I don't know if I can no longer be non-affirming. Yeah, I, mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think about uh, David Gushy, Dr. David Gushy, yes. you wrote the book Changing Our Minds. You know, he's a friend yes. of the show. I've had him on before. Uh, you oh, know, he's, I'm so jealous. I want to meet him. He's, <laughs> I haven't met him yet. <laughs> I've, I've had the privilege of interviewing him twice, and he's just a great guy. Um, and he's done great work in a lot of different fields, uh, including in, in, in that field. Um, and it is, you know, again, I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but bringing it back to this theme of how we interpret the Bible is such a foundational, um, uh, conversation that so many of us are trying to have 
for maybe for the first time, like for example, many people don't realize that the word hell is translated from four different words. It's not, you know, when you read the hell in that, that Jesus talks about, that's a different word than the hell that is in revelation, but we just all read hell. You know, you just, you, you think that the same hell that Jesus is talking about is the same hell that John's talking and they're, they're, It's not, it's different words, different contexts. And so I think you're really onto something when you make the claim that we have to know where these verses sit. We have to understand the cultural context around them. We also, we also have, to, have to understand that, that in Leviticus, right, like that word was written a thousand years before when Paul writes his letters. So he's right. talking about different situations and the context is, is really what helps fill out some of these things that for us, we've been taught are black and white. Well, maybe to Westerners reading it with this lens, it is, but maybe right. that's not at all what, what, what Paul or the author of you know, Leviticus had in mind. Exactly. Exactly. So, hmm. so yeah, so we're going to get into all of that stuff. We get into a lot of it on the TikTok. There's some interesting conversations on TikTok. I don't know if, uh, if anybody gets, gets down with that. It's a little bit of a medical, <laughs> but uh, there's yeah, a lot it's, of it's funny. artists on there. I, I, I tried a TikTok account for new evangelicals. I made like two videos and my wife's like, you're not funny. I'm like, okay, I will, I will stop doing this. Oh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm also, I'm also so busy with like everything else. I have no, I, I have no time to devote like, like creative content, but I know that a lot of people are doing, you know, work on TikTok. And I also think too, that a lot of people in this deconstruction and even evangelical movement are, I think they're really primed for a movie like yours because a lot yeah. of us are really curious. Like we have yeah. questions and the answers we're getting are not sufficient, right? We're like, ah. They're saying the same thing over and over again. You know? Yeah, yeah. same thing. So let, let's kind of talk about the, maybe like the actual, like let's nerd out for a minute on the movie itself, like the actual making of a movie, okay? Because I'm a musician. I, I enjoy the arts. I respect it. I'm, I'm a big documentary nerd. I love a good documentary, you know? One that, like like a Food Inc., for example. I watched that 10 years ago and I go, oh my God, my food's made out of just rearranged corn, you know? Like my mind was blown. What What is the magic sauce of making a, a good documentary? Because I've definitely seen ones that, that did not engage me at all, even though the topic was really intriguing. I, I, it totally lost me. So like, what are some of the keys to making a documentary, you know, um, attractive, I guess? So we're working on that right now and it would be the structure because we do have really great, I, I do believe just trying to, from, you know, not being biased, right. we've got great characters, great storyline. We've got a global theme, you know, we've got definitely interesting notes, but putting it together is a totally different. You're right. You're even right. with me filming most of the stuff and I taught myself Premiere Pro last year because I, I basically <laughs> been fundraising everything myself. I'm, my, I'm the first donor. I'm $40,000, my own resources in this movie. Wow. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't get anything until we can maybe per, get the movie sold, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, if, if we can't hire anybody, I have to do everything. So I'm like, I have all this footage. I'm like, now I need somebody to put it together. But I'm right. like, I, I, now I can edit the TikTok stuff, but I can't edit a movie. Right. So, right. Um, They're a little different, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's a little different. We were successful to be able to get enough money in the bank to contract an editor. And she is great at that. Um, and even right now, so we're, she's teaching me a little bit about some of these structure notes. Um and it's tricky. We have two different movies right now that, uh, mm -hmm. and I showed Mary Lambert the second one, and I hate that for, that version. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I showed Mary a movie that I don't even <laughs> like because the opening, the first act is so weak. 
And mm. then, but you get to the second act and it's great. And then the third act, it's great. And our other movie that we showed our executive producers had a totally different feel and vibe. They both loved it. You know what I mean? So right. it's just about what it is for us on this film. And what I think it really is, is, you know, how do you keep the, how do you keep the, the page turners? Totally. So totally. our formula for this is since it's a, it is a bit of a mystery film because we're unraveling some truth. We've been called the Da Vinci code documentary style, you know, Da Vinci. So we started the thesis on a question. The researcher started on a question. So the whole thing is just questions all the way through. Mm. And as we're answering the questions, we're leading the next one into another question. Right. You know, and so we're like, wow, I just want to know more. I want to know more. Yeah. Um, so that's been helpful. And then it also helps too. So we're not spoon feeding. We're yeah. not telling you what to think. Right. We're giving you information and we're giving you people's connection to that information and then a question so that hopefully you can be like, Oh, you know, and right. go on that journey with us. Yes. So I think yes. that's what it is. Taking the audience on the journey with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Visuals help as well too. a big thing for us. Uh, and so a part of the big fundraising for us is animation and illustration. Definitely. Very important line item for us and music. Even just the music, Mary Lambert doing the music. So the music will help drive the story when you put it in and when you don't put it in. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. But so we have a lot of talking heads and a lot of conference and a lot of reading the Bible, which is mm. very boring. The first cut I saw of this movie, I was like, oh, my God, I hate this movie. I was like, <laughs> you know, why do I hate this movie? It's we're right. in the Bible too much. And, and not that, it, you know, it just you're going to put your audience to sleep. Totally. So we're, we're getting the words to pop out of the page. And again, these yes. questions leading us to want to read the Bible, which is kind of exciting. And even yeah, for people who is. aren't Christian or who hate, not that, you know, I'm sure there are people that hate the Bible, but right. very much despise the Bible. Like, Hopefully yeah. some interesting things in this. No, for sure. You know, so for the audience out there, I'm not sure how many of you are, are in the, the, the arts, but but people don't realize how much work goes into a song on the radio or a movie that you watch. I mean, there is, I mean, especially for a, 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 any feature length movie or a documentary, we're talking hundreds of hours of footage. And so you, what yeah. they have to do is they have to sift through and find the right moments in all yeah. of these interviews and, 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 and scenery shots, and then find the right moments to keep the story going, then have the right music behind it to match the mood and the illustration. Yeah. And that's all be created. So it, it is, yeah. it is no easy feat. And like you said, you know, I, I relate things back to music. If, if you have a good producer, your song could be great. And if your, if your producer sucks, your song could be terrible, right? Like how yep. it's mixed yep. is, is, is yep. almost more important than the actual song itself in some ways. Yep. Right. And Absolutely. that's editing for you guys. I mean, how you edit yep. this movie it, it, that will, you know, um, that will really determine like how things pop, like, like you want it to. And we got really lucky. Our editor is fantastic. That's she right. really cares about the project. She's invested in it. She's finding great nuggets, great moments. And you can see little connections like, we shot some photos of our lead character and he's looking at the photos. And as he's talking about this one moment about, you know, God's not going to leave me hanging. She picked the two most perfect photos. Like he's on this cliff, you know, and just yes. the way that, that one photo connects to another photo of the emotion in his face. Like yeah. she picked those things. Yeah. And it, and so those are the only elements that we have to support what he's saying. And she used them so beautifully, you know, little moments where Kathy's like rubbing her eye and then it matches with something we shot 
a year prior. You know right. what I mean? How did you match that up? You right. Know I mean? So like, how long have you been filming this documentary? Like, like how long has this been in the works? Uh, I started filming in October of 2018. Wow. So three years. And we should be done this fall. Um, we, we are really close. We've got a, another, a third structure now that's, uh, we just got yesterday and now we're, we're redoing the open. Um, so hopefully the fall is just going through the technical once we get that structure down. Um, okay. So, wow. and then it's festival submissions and hopefully worldwide distribution, but first this festivals and then hopefully a Netflix or a, a HBO or whomever wants to, whoever's listening to us call yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how are you feeling about this project overall? Like personally, how does Rocky feel? Are you excited? Are you nervous? A little anxious about it? Like you know, I want to get it done so bad. Yeah. I'm ready. Um, it's been a long time and I know the world is ready and it's a big, it's, you know, it is it, not, I don't want to use the wrong word cause it's not a big burden. It's a, it's a big, uh, a blessing as well, Yeah. but it's a lot of pressure and sure. I don't feel the pressure, but I do want to get it done. And then I'm ready for that next level where it's like, now we can talk about it and we can start having bigger conversations. Yeah. Um, I am, you know, there were moments a couple months ago before we saw the edit where I was really nervous because, you know, we've spent $350,000. Yeah. I've put three years of my life. I quit my job for this. I moved across the country, you know, like, right. So, uh, I'm, I had a moment where I was like, do we even have a movie? Like, do we even have anything? Like, I'm like, yeah. did I just waste all of these people's time and money and tell them that I can do this? You know? Yeah. So I told my mentor all of this and he goes, Oh, that's normal. He's like, yeah. if, he's like, I would be worried if you didn't feel that way. I was like, Oh good. Cause I'm literally <laughs> about to break down. Right. I'm having a panic attack. So right. please exactly. calm me down. <laughs> and then we all watched the movie and it's, I can't wait to show you guys. I really can't wait to show everybody. So I'm just really proud of it. I'm really proud of our team and all of the people. We've got people that help us. I've got people that text me every day, people that help make lists for us. And, you know, besides our our technical crew. um, So we've really just started to build a whole group of people to make this movie with us. That is so exciting. Um, That's amazing. And I I totally understand that. creative anxiety of like one day being like, this is going to kick ass and be so good. And the next day you're like, what the hell am I even yeah. doing? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, this idea is terrible. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, oh, like, I've been, tomorrow. I've been there so many times. I totally get it. And you're absolutely yeah. right. You, you have to kind of get through it and like trust yourself. But when you grow up in evangelical spaces, you're taught not to do that. So yeah, it can be pretty true. traumatic yeah, <laughs> trying to learn. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, okay, so let's see here. I mean, I feel like you've done a really good job, like explaining the movie to me. And I'm, I'm honestly very excited myself. Ever since I followed you, I guess in January, I, I've been like every now and then, every now and then I'll check in and like, okay, is this movie out yet? Like I'm, I'm waiting for it. You know, I'm excited <laughs> to see it. I know my audience is, is excited to see it. How, if people are like, listen, I, I love this. I want to help. How can people get more involved? Like how can they help you out? What can they do? Yeah. There's a website, 1946themovie.com. It has all the information, whether you want to be a sponsor, you want to donate on our GoFundMe if you want to be a larger donor, we have a fiscal sponsor. So it's a full tax write-off. It's a 501c3 organization called Women Make Movies. So it was pretty honorable to get into that. Love that. Uh, and then if you wanted to volunteer, you can send us an email. 
and just get in touch with me if you wanted to just join our community. I have um, community Zooms I offer up so people can mm-hmm. one-on-one meet with me. And, or like we do it, you know, it's usually like 10 or 15 people sometimes. Sure. We'll Zoom meeting, which will be fun. Um, and then there's a newsletter subscription button on there too. So you can sign up for our newsletter. So all the information on 1946themovie.com, including all these things, I linked all the press. I need to get more up there, but you'll be able to find other podcasts and things like that there. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes so people can find it really easy. Thank um, you. you know, I appreciate you coming on and making time and chatting for me, with me for a few minutes about, I mean, so many things, you know, and, and there's so much more to uncover, but you know, you're doing great work. I know we're excited to watch it. So uh, keep us posted because we'll be Thank there. You. Absolutely. I, will. I really appreciate it because this gives us an opportunity to meet more people and to spread this message. So thank you for your time. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Anytime. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Now that you've taken on that big job, you shouldn't have to settle for the big box. You've earned a trip to Northern Tool, and we're ready for the details. We know all about the little things that make the biggest difference. Maybe that's why they call us a problem solver's paradise. From pressure washers to power tools, pallet jacks to push carts, Northern Tool and Equipment carries the brands you depend on, like North Star, DeWalt, Milwaukee, and Strongway. We're made for this. Come see us in-store or shop online at northerntool.com.